Hi, I'm Danny DeQuisto, the pastor of Redemption Church here in Milwaukee. I'm here with our wildly overqualified pastoral assistant, Ron Sanchez, and this is our Mission Talk podcast. Mission Talk is all about helping ordinary Christians think biblically about what God is getting done in the world today and the role we get to play as His church in that work of redemption. This week, rather than jumping right into what we need to do for the sake of mission, we're going we're gonna to slow down a little bit and consider who does the mission belong to? We've seen the nations, all of them belong to our God, and the nations, all of them have a king in Jesus Christ, but who has he entrusted this work to, and how does that shape the way that we should go about it? Danny, we've covered a lot of ground here. Can you just take us back just briefly and take us through to bring us to the point of what this episode is going to be all about? Yeah, yeah, sure. So exactly. We've basically done a couple episodes, and even in the last episode, we tried to cover most of the story of the Old Testament. We laughed at that to start, and in a way, it makes sense. Uh, it is a lot to cover. Basically, though, um, what, we've, what we've covered is the idea that the nations belong to our God. Right, So this it's really simple. Just when you look at the world in the way that it is, it's filled with these different people groups that speak different languages. They're constantly warring against each other. But what the beauty of the storyline of Scripture is that all of these nations belong to God. As Paul says in Acts 17, from one man, he, he, he grew all these nations. And so there's a sense in which they don't love him, they don't honor him, they don't worship him because of sin, and yet... They do belong to him, and the story of the Bible is how God sort of rescues them back, how they will remember and turn back to the Lord. And then, so the nations belong to our God, and also, now the nations have a king. King Jesus came, and he is this one just colossal figure in the story of Scripture who comes to basically connect all of these dots. And and in the person of Christ, we have this heavenly king who is on this mission somehow— to redeem and to restore all of these raging nations of the world. And, and this is where we see Jesus talking over and over again in the Gospels about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God. And, and so basically, that's where we've been. All the nations belong to our God, and those nations now have a king. And to your point, it's kind of a build. It's a climax. Oh my goodness, he's here. We have a king. And now there's this anticipation of okay, but what, what do we do? It's, it's kind of where we're headed in this podcast. When are we going to get to the, to the practical stuff? But we have one more stop along the way. So this progression is so important that if we circumvent at any point along the way, then we end up having a distorted uh, understanding of what missions is. Is yeah, that correct? A- absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this question of who has the mission been entrusted to, it's a big one. And I think in large part, it's a big one because most Christians today make some assumptions about who it belongs to, that that upon further review, when you just look a little more closely at Scripture, it, it's not actually accurate. And and I think in many ways, it throws us into some of the confusion that we're, meant to, we're meaning rather here to, to address. So this episode is, who does the mission belong to? Danny, who is the we? Yeah. Well, the, the best place, I think, for us to look for this is, is Matthew 16. And so, as I've already mentioned, 
if there's one theme that unites Jesus' life, ministry, and teaching, it's this theme of the kingdom of God. But there's, it's, there's this sense in which it's really shrouded with mystery. A lot of people are expecting it to be an earthly kingdom. He's going to just conquer the Roman Empire and rule. But that's clearly not the case. So it's really kind of a mysterious theme or topic in his teaching until, I think, we get to Matthew 16. And, and I think it starts to get a little bit clearer how this is going to unfold. And so basically, when we get to Matthew 16, it's a very common passage, but they're, they're basically talking, uh, Jesus is talking with his disciples about who does everybody say that I am, and they have some different suggestions, and people are saying he's all kinds of people, mostly Old Testament figures who have somehow come back into the story. But then he, Jesus puts them right on the money, and he says, okay, but, but who do you say that I am? And this is this iconic moment in the Gospels where Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is like a t- major turning point in the story, right? Because Jesus has been shrouded in mystery this whole time. But this gives us the sense that P- uh, Peter's starting to get it. One of his disciples is starting to see that Jesus really is this triumphant Old Testament prophesied king who's actually here to be the Messiah. And, and as soon as Peter says that, something really interesting happens. Jesus starts to talk in much more specificity about this whole kingdom thing. And, he, and here's what he says. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Do you notice, like, right away, Jesus starts to get a sense, okay, my Father's working here. As soon as Peter knows that he is the Christ, as soon as he can actually profess faith in this good news of Jesus, here we go, we're off to the races. Because my father is working. And, and, and I tell you, you are Peter. And Peter's name in the original Greek sort of sounds like the word rock. There's a close connection. And he says, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we'll just pause right there, right? The first interesting thing, as soon as Peter professes faith that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus starts talking about building this church. That's the first, right away. And so it seems like these two things are connected, right? The fact that Peter knows he's the Christ and the fact that Jesus is going to start to build this church, those two things are connected and they're starting to unfold here. So they're connected on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, yeah, well, the son of the living God. Yeah, and I think you're getting at a really interesting question throughout the history of the church where what is Jesus saying he's building his church on here, right? Because the Catholic church has said, for centuries, that, that look, it, Peter's name sounds like rock, and then therefore he's building the church on one man, Peter. And what they take that to mean is, therefore, he's establishing Peter as the first pope, and the one true church on earth, earth is built on the rock of the papacy. And, and ever since Peter, there's been a succession, in, in their view, of popes. There's a few challenges with that. I don't want to get too much into the weeds of this, but um, first, it, do, it doesn't explicitly say that first. Next, nor does any other New Testament passage explicitly mention one sole solitary leader of the church on earth other than Christ himself. And and then third, if you look at Galatians, actually, it's really interesting. Paul publicly, he says even, he publicly calls out Peter in front of the church for being, quote, out of step with the gospel. Doesn't seem to indicate that this guy's the pope. Um, And he uh, Paul even says, those who seemed influential meant nothing to me. 
<laughs> right? So brutal. It, it may, yeah, it may, it may give a sense. Yeah, definitely. That's not how it was working. Right. right? Um, but then also, um, it, Peter actually wrote two letters for us, first and second Peter. And he doesn't refer to himself as the Pope or act as if he's the Pope. So we, there, there's some, there's some problems there. I, we don't believe that, of course, we're not a Catholic church. Um, but really, again, I think it's not a coincidence that Christ is saying this as soon as Peter says he's the Christ, to your point, right? Now, the, the challenge is, I think, you do have to do something with the fact that Peter's name sounds like rock, you know? <laughs> right? So there's something to this, and, and I think certainly, you know, Peter does go on to play a, a, a pivotal role. I mean, he's the one at Pentecost who gets up and preaches the gospel, and so... You know what I would say is, yeah, that doesn't trouble me at all. It just doesn't mean there's a pope. I, I think it's, I think it's God. Christ is building His church on the foundation of His people who proclaim and profess faith in His gospel. Now, Peter happens to be the first of those, and that's what we see happening here. Yeah, and I think for for me, it's always been pretty clear that the rock is the reality that Jesus is the Christ, Mm -hmm. and that the gospel, the joyful message from God that leads to salvation, that the church is established on a gathering of people Mm -hmm. who believe that Jesus is the Christ. Well, right, and because regardless of what you think of that, Jesus is promising to build something here. Right. And right. we're going to see that whatever it is that he's building, this church, is going to be entrusted with the keys to his kingdom, which we're going to get to in a second. And I, th- I think that is is really, it shouldn't be, but that has really become a bit of a of a revelation once you really look at it, because we want to just leave it on, well, I'm just looking for people that'll agree that Jesus is the Christ, but right. there's more. See, that's just it. And so I would say the Catholic Church has gone too far to say, well, because he's building it on the rock of Peter, therefore the keys of the kingdom, this mission, has been entrusted only to the Catholic Church. And you have to be a part of our institution to be a part of it, and they're one and the same. There is a way in which you could go not far enough, which is to say, well, just all Christians everywhere, no matter if they're independent of their connection to one another, have been entrusted with this mission. And I would say no, and we're going to see, I think, why here. Basically, next, he says, after I'll, I'll, I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we have this image of two spiritual kingdoms warring against one another, the kingdom of hell and its capital city with its gates. And this church that Jesus is going to build is going to storm those gates. They're going to collapse in. They're going to, they're going to storm hell and win. That's a really big deal. And then he says this, he says, after, after that, he says, I will give you the keys to, of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so this idea of binding and loosing, uh, I, I, the language itself is somewhat clear. It just means to gather in and to claim, basically, as a subject of the kingdom, or to release and to let go from the authority of a kingdom. Um, How that plays itself out in practical life, right? We're going to talk more about that. But you can see here, Jesus is building this church in order to carry out his mission. He wants to bring the kingdom. He wants to be the king of all nations. And yet, he is going to uh, rise from the dead, and he's going to ascend into heaven, where he sits on the throne of heaven. 
And, and so basically, he is entrusting the keys to someone here. And this is the problem. All kinds of confusion with the church and its history and what this means. I get that. There's a lot of reasons to be very confused by this passage. And yet, we got to see the stakes are really high here. Because this is my contention. Someone has these keys. Someone has them. And so we need to do some work here to figure out who, who do these belong to? Who, who's got the keys to this kingdom and its mission? And, and we really, we can't go any further until we establish that. Right. We've got to answer that question. Who yeah. were the keys given to? As I was even just studying to, to preach on some of these topics, it just had the thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if Jesus just told us how to use these things, right? And then sure enough, if you just keep reading two chapters in Matthew to chapter 18, he does exactly that. He specifically tells us how to use the keys of the kingdom. And, and so in a way, if we just focus on 16, there's a lot of unanswered questions here. And we're, we, it, it's not going to shape how we do mission necessarily. This should. So get to Matthew 18. It's a really another common passage. Uh, but basically, Jesus is explaining how to deal with sin issues as a disciple of his. And, and this is the classic text for church discipline. You, you bring the sin issue to that brother in private, and if they, if they repent, and, and you can move on, right? Back to life in the kingdom. But if they don't listen, you have to bring one or two others along to establish that with more than one witness. You, you, you try and call that brother to repentance again, and he says, if he doesn't listen to him, if he refuses to listen to them, the, the multiple people, he says, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so now this is where the lights start to click on here, right? Okay, so, so basically a couple things Jesus is assuming. Number one, he's assuming that if you're a disciple of mine, you will be a part. Of, of a church that sin issues can be brought before. Th this is going to be a normal part of your life as a Christian, as a, as a follower of me. You will be a part of a church where, one, you're even obligated to bring a sin issue to some, a brother, right? And, and, and they are likewise obligated to do that to you. And, and you have to decide as, as a believer, are you going to listen to this brother or the two or three who come after him or the whole congregation or not, right? And so we can see, I think, the... The focus is coming in clearer. These keys have been entrusted to local churches. Which are a body of people yep. that have made the claim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of that's the living it. God. Bingo. That's it, the connection. Exactly. And, and that's the sense in which, yeah, on this rock, Jesus is building something here. But, but that's something. It's really easy for us to think, well, that something is just the universal church. It's just all Christians. Everybody professes faith in the gospel. So what he's talking about is he's building this universal church on the rock. And it's not necessarily made up of local churches. It's just everybody. But here's the problem then. How do you bring a sin issue before the universal church? You can't do it. And so I think what this starts to expose in us is, wait a second, I think I'm assuming a little bit more so than the Bible does, uh, that I can be a Christian without being a member of a church. I, I just think the Bible just assumes that when we are redeemed, we are redeemed into an actual, tangible group of people who know us by name, and it's it's within that community 
that this kingdom mission has been sort of entrusted. It's, 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 it's in that community where this thing is being worked out, where people are being bound and loosed from the kingdom. And so what you're really talking about here is is uh, is church membership, a membership of of a church, yep. which is not a, a popular subject uh, uh, across the broad yeah. realm of Christianity. Is that safe to say? Well, right. Membership and discipline. Right. You know, I mean, obviously discipline is like, oh my goodness. I, most, most Christians talk, you're going to kick somebody out of your church. That sounds terrible. Yeah. But I think it's because we've begun to see local churches as just these nonprofit religious organizations that produce all kinds of goods and services. We don't see it as if God's redeeming people out of the raging nations into his kingdom, and these local churches are embassies of that kingdom. And there, there's, there, there's, there's a much clearer connection here between the kingdom of God and the church than most people are, I think, willing to even consider. Yes, I, I, I would totally agree. And one of the reasons is is because I spent so many years as the senior pastor of a church that really de-emphasized church membership, yeah. primarily because I didn't have a healthy biblical understanding of, of what it is and why it's so important. Yeah. And there may be some of our listeners that have come through that same thing. I but expect a, there a, are, yeah. A biblical understanding of what was intended here in uh, Matthew 16 and then in 18 is paramount to really getting yeah. on the right track in this area of understanding mission. And this is what Jesus reiterates after he says all this. He says, truly, I say to you, and he just repeats what he said in, in 16, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I think we're supposed to read that and hear him saying, basically, well, guys, this is what I was talking about back in chapter 16. When I was said I was going to build my church on the rock and, and you're going to get the keys of the kingdom, this is how you use the keys to the kingdom. And so, yeah, that's absolutely the principle is I think we're walking out here of Matthew 16 and 18 thinking, whoa, uh, Jesus is actually redeeming people into a community. He's binding them together spiritually. And this is essential to how this whole mission is going to unfold. And I think we'll, we'll see over time here. It's, it's very essential. You really can't disconnect the precise language from chapter 16 and chapter 18. You have to reconcile that. And then, as a side note, you have to reconcile what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which was the very application of what Jesus said in Matthew 18. There's no getting around it. And what does he say there? Are you, you mean 2 Corinthians chapter 5? I'm sorry, 2... Uh, Is uh, we are ambassadors? No, no, no. 1 what Corinthians you, chapter 5, when, when the... When the the discipline is actually. Oh he, he yeah, says when the he, very he's same. telling them how to discipline a brother who's in sin. He's yes, saying, yeah, and he tells Expel them why, yeah, and, yeah. and and yet he doesn't say, uh, "I don't speak of those in sexual sin in the world," mm -hmm. because if I was if I was speaking that you would you, you wouldn't you'd have to go out of you'd the have world, to go out says. of the world. Right. Yeah. So in Paul's mind, there is a clear in and a clear out, right, of the church, which is these embassies of the kingdom.
so let's just let's just pause here and say really is this actually how it's supposed to work that actually these this kingdom mission is entrusted to local churches i understand why people are very confused about that and there may be any number of barriers to get you to see that i i get that i think it has more to do with our confusion in the world than it does with the scriptures i think the scriptures are very clear but it's it's our own experience of the church and what we bring into it that confuses it but as a te- as a test here let's just try and extrapolate this out is do we see this actually in the rest of the bible and i think uh, without a doubt the answer is yes uh, paul is persecuting the local church members in the book of acts before he becomes paul jesus says why are you persecuting me mm. he so identifies with the members of these local churches that to persecute them is to persecute him second corinthians 5 which is what i thought you meant he says we are ambassadors mm of Christ, King King Jesus, this King of all nations. And he says, God making his appeal through us. And he's writing that, again, to a local church. And so there's a sense in which he's he sees these local churches he's, he's given his life to plant as embassies of the kingdom of God. Uh, Colossians 1, he spe- says specifically, he's delivered us, me and, and you, the members of this church, he's delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, uh, in Philippians, he says, our citizenship is in heaven over and against any other citizenship. First uh, Peter 2, he tells these churches, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And, well, they're not actually a nation at all. They're churches made up of people from all these raging nations. And so we see this all over the New Testament Um, But in particular, we also see it in in Ephesians 2. Most people know the first half of Ephesians 2 is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of works. But but basically after that, in 11 and on, he explains to Gentile Christians how hopeless they were before Mm -hmm. they knew Christ because God had only one covenant kingdom, and it was the nation of Israel. So here's what he says to them. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, which remember, that's that's us, unless we're ethnic Jews, that's us, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, so not Jews, not citizens of Israel, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's bleak. Wow. Uh, and this is where we see the story turn, though. This is where we see the kingdom and, and how it's actually going to come. He says, here's how that changed for these Gentile members of the raging nations. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you members of the raging nations, you outsiders have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Citizens of what? Citizens of the kingdom, right? and members of the household of God. And again, he's writing this to members of local churches. It's it's real people with faces and names. In the next chapter, he even prays, to God be glory, he says, in the church. Wow. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Hmm. Amen. So this is not just a short-term vision here. <laughs> the local churches weren't just a, a first-century thing. This is how... Paul envisioned the kingdom unfolding in this great mission of God taking shape. Yeah, and I, I, I 
I can't help but think back to Matthew 18 and this whole issue of, of church discipline and a verse where he says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, yeah. I will be in their midst. And yeah. I think how often we use it really out of context. It, it doesn't mean that Christ isn't present with us wherever two or three are gathered, but he's also present with us when there's one, when we're just in, he is, in a yeah. time of prayer. But what he's saying there is wherever two or more agree to what I've established here, that's right. I am there affirming what it is yeah. that they are doing. I, I love That's that huge. He's talking about these discipline instances. That's what he's immediately talking about. So in other words, if two or more are gathered to address a sin issue within these local church communities, there I am with them. In other words, I, I even take that to mean, <laughs> uh, look, if your brother comes and addresses your sin, you should really listen to him. Yeah. And, and if multiple come... You should really listen to them. Why? Because it's not just them addressing your sin. I am there. I am addressing your sin through your brothers and sisters. But again, all of that beauty just evaporates into thin air if we don't expect Christians to be members of churches where people are committed to doing this. Yeah, I, I, I would totally agree. And as I, as I said before, I spent a lot of years mm. in, in churches where membership was even downplayed. And, you know, I think it's important that, that our audience understands that, that this isn't a, uh, we're just trying to promote church membership. Yeah. It's, we're trying to understand, as we all do, that, that what, what it is that God's people are called to do as a gathering of people. And I love how you establish that, that if Matthew 18 was applying to the universal church, the broad uh, a Bible-believing church, uh, <laughs> you couldn't create an app that would, a phone app that would enable you to accomplish that. So no. I, I love uh, what, what we discover here in the, in, uh, the gospel. love to talk with you a little bit here just in your own experience as as a pastor for for years and, and seeing this in various degrees of clarity over time and, and clearer more recently but but my my first question is just what, what what takeaways can we walk away with here concerning our role in this mission what do we see well I think I think the most obvious one to me is that churches are a way bigger deal than than most people think. I mean, <laughs> it's a really it, simple way to put it, but it's so true. It, it, it totally changes how you look at going to church right. or how you look at it, being involved huh. in your church. You, to me, you have to really step back and rethink it. Yeah. That's, that's, I think there's a lot of insight in that. There's, there's something unintuitive about it. It seems like it's pretty mundane. You know, I know these people. Some of them kind of rub me the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe uh, I'll go to another church. Yeah, maybe I'll go to another church. Or, or just, yeah, you know, what are we going through? What's the sermon series this week? Oh, boy, you know, I'm not as into this one as the last one. Or, or the songs, you know, I don't like the songs. But you, you see how, wait a second, when we think God is is unfolding his redemptive work through these local churches, and, and they've been entrusted with the keys, it just, 
it makes even the mundane stuff, like, look, I might be boring that week. The sermon might not be the best, but we're still part of God's kingdom unfolding in the world. And in a real and tangible way, I, I think that's that's really helpful. And as I reflect on this importance of the local church, I think when we lose that and we just sort of personalize or privatize the Christian life in a way that sort of defines the church out of it, really what effectively happens is we've lost the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> the, the way in which Jesus envisioned this whole thing unfolding it is now not even, it's, it's really not possible by our definitions of it. We've kind of confused it so much to the point where uh, it, it's it's no longer a biblical phenomenon, you know? Yeah, and I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'd say that we've lost the keys. You've lost the keys to the kingdom. I might suggest. I don't think you ever had the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because you, you can't lose something unless you have it. Yeah, and I think once. And and I think part of the thing certainly. I would want to be sensitive to people who have been part of maybe unhealthy churches that right. had an unhealthy understanding of church membership. Right. And I know that that, that was the case for me uh, way back when. Totally. And, and that's really a big burden for me because I want to say I, I was a Christian for a decade before I have even had a productive conversation about any of this. And so we have to be patient with people. We have to leave room for the fact that this is really going to break their categories in a way. I, I, I totally get that. I just think it should. I, I always say, I think, I assume most people when they walk into a membership class to think about joining a church, they assume this is basically like kind of the, the lead up to a Sam's Club type of thing, you know, where <laughs> right. it's like, you know, you fill out a form and you, you, you get say, a mug, hey, yeah, full we, of candy. yeah, we like this place. We'll give you some money every once in a while. And that's about <laughs> all that's happening. No, right. But rather than being bound to the kingdom of heaven. One other takeaway that comes to mind here for me is that, to your point, uh, I think the mission belongs to local churches, which something really important here, it doesn't just belong to us as individuals. Yes. There's a sense in which uh, we have to be a part of these communities to be a part of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven, because the keys have been entrusted to these local churches. And so when it, when it comes to mission, and this is where we don't want to rush ahead, what do we do? What do we do? Should we do evangelism? Should we do mercy? We'll get to that. Short-term mission trips, we'll get to that. But if we don't see this, we're going to be off course really quickly because almost in, inevitably we're going to define it by the individual and we're already off the tracks. <laughs> right, right. Because it's, it's the story of, of local churches developing and multiplying. Yeah, and I think, too, I, I think of uh, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it doesn't take much to just to get us off track with, number one, it is a gathering of people hmm. who wholeheartedly believe and have confessed mm -hmm. a belief in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then everything flows from there. Amen. And when you look at the scriptures and you just see the, the warnings that the, uh, that the writers of the New Testament and, and, and Paul just kept bringing us back to that because yeah. if there's any dilution of that message, um, you're heading in a bad direction. We are, yeah. Well, and, and I'll leave us with this if I could. One last takeaway. Um, you know, I think... For me, at least in my own experience, it's really tempting once you see this and it's just you're filled with passion about it 
to spend a lot of time critiquing and speaking to what is not right, right? Um, and, and I think there's a place for that. I think we need to speak with clarity on ways we could confuse this. But what I want to say as a, as a next step is, again, is to invite people into this. Like, I, I don't want you to, to hear this and, and hear, feel it like a slap on the hand, like, you've been wrong the whole time, and you're, those mission trips are, are a waste. <laughs> like, slow it down. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll get there. But my, my, my first step, if you want to pra- we're getting to the practical stuff here. Step one of being involved in this mission is to repent of your sins, is to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and it's to join a gospel-preaching local church. Danny, I think that's so important, a gospel-preaching local church. Yeah. Because this is not about join Redemption Church. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, just, right, and if our, if, if we're going to see, if our mission is working eventually, it's going to lead to us multiplying lots of these local churches, even in our own community. And, that's, and that's what gets exciting yeah, to me. Yeah, where we right can there. start to celebrate that. Um, I'm tempted not to go here because I want to wrap up. But but basically, I think when we get this wrong, another way it goes wrong is we start to see other local churches as competition. Yes. Right? W- w- I hope we have more time to get into that, Ron, because I, I'm tempted to go another five minutes on that. But but I think you can see when we get this right, we see the mission belongs to these local churches that are multiplying it really changes our perspective on these other brothers and sisters taking the Lord's Supper a mile or two away and are part of these fellowships together. I, I think there's a lot of good fruit to come from this. And that's when it gets really exciting. Amen. Amen. Looking forward to the next one. Me too. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, Danny. <laughs>